we have had a series on prayer because we have been a praying church and want to be ever more of a praying church. And that doesn't necessarily come naturally all the time. So hopefully the series has been helpful. And I get to talk about one of my favorite, favorite, favorite topics anywhere, which is leadership, specifically praying for leaders. And you can look at this one of two ways. It could be praying that God will send us leaders, which I think we did at corporate prayer this morning, or it can be praying on behalf of leaders, which is what we're going to do now. Well, we're going to do it later. We're going to talk about it first. And I, I thought about this. I could tell you, okay, look, here's where the Bible tells you to do it. That's why you need to do it. And maybe here's how to do it. And we could all go home. But that would be too simple, particularly because I think there's a big issue that stands in the way. Um, I think uh, this is an issue for us as human beings and particularly as Americans. And it's the very first issue that humanity had to deal with. Uh, if you remember back in the Garden of Eden, God makes Adam, tells him, here's this wonderful garden, have fun, eat, work, and be merry. Just don't touch, you know, this one tree. And, you know, the story, he decides he knows better than God, and he and wife Eve eat of the fruit, the forbidden fruit, and they're instantly very sorry. Now, I know you're thinking, no, it was Eve that took the fruit. Yes, where do you think Adam was standing? Given that she handed it to him. Not only that, but, oh, you men folk in the audience. <clears throat> if you will read Genesis 3, when God says, here it is, don't touch that, the only one there is Adam. Eve's not here yet. It would have been nice of him to say something like, honey, I was there, and what God said was, okay, I'm just going to leave that one alone. I just think Eve gets a bad rap. But the issue is, when, when the serpent said, you know, surely you're not going to die, like God said. What? That was absolutely lack of leadership, yes. Now, not that Eve is off scot-free, and we have paid for it ever since. <clears throat> but enough about my hundred hours of labor. The whole idea was, we know better than God. Surely he doesn't really know what he's talking about, right? I mean, that's, they had a choice to make, the very first choice they had to make, and they went the, the route of, oh, I, I think I know better. And I, that's so central to humanity. That's what comes naturally to us. It's also what the Bible calls the flesh. So it's something we need to learn to control. But then... And actually, I think we saw examples of this this weekend. If you were watching any of the news coverage of the hurricane, you know, the leaders told the people, it's not safe, it's time to pack up your things and go away from the water. Do we have the... Do you see how surprised, shocked, even scared she looks? She's standing in Galveston right at that wall. This is before the really bad stuff started. She's been told this is the time to pack up and leave. No, she's got to go get real close to the danger, and then when it jumps up at her, she's surprised. And I think that's what we do, and I don't understand 
But anyhow, hopefully she's safe. So anyway, nature, flesh, resist authority, think you know better. And then specifically as Americans, if you think about it, what's the biggest political holiday of the year? Sometime in July, Independence Day. And then there are two charter documents for our nation, the Constitution, but first came the Declaration of Independence. Okay. And I think we've come to a place, lo, these many years later, where we practically worship rebellion. We call it independence. They're different things. You won't find the word independent in the Bible, which is kind of interesting. But basically it means not dependent. Got, got it so far. I know that's, that's challenging. Okay. Dependence comes from the fr- French word for to hang from. And it's like the idea of a chandelier. A chandelier hangs from a chain. We tend to not like to be dependent on someone or subordinate to someone because it means I'm less. The boss is bigger and I'm less valuable, which is ridiculous if you think of the chandelier. Without the, the lights, there's no light. But without the chain that has a cable, there's no power to make the lights. So without the chain, there's no light. And without the lights, there's no light. So they're both important. They're important together. So who cares who's on the bottom? Yes? No? Makey sense? Okay. All right. Kind of like us and God, see? We need the power to be able to shine, which is what he wants us to do. And very often that power is coming through this chain called leadership. Just a thought. So no chandelier, no light. No chain, no light. Dependence is good. It can be pathological like anything else, but we need to not just resist the idea of being dependent on someone or following someone. And what I think I have to offer you uh, in this whole area is kind of twofold. Part of it is perspective. Um, Perspective is generally the way you look at things, particularly things you have examined very closely. And this area has been a passion of mine since I was at least in second grade. Um, Just trying to figure leaders out and and recognizing that leaders are human beings just like everybody else, but nobody else thinks they are and just trying to you know figure all that out and it's kind of like the saying that says you can't see the forest for the trees I know not everyone's had the benefit of being in a real forest but when you are you're very aware of the trees and you pretty much have no clue what else is out there and so in order to get a real good idea of the forest you have to step away maybe you can get an aerial shot And then you can see that it's a little forest or a big forest. There's a road going through it, or there's a field right next door, or what have you. It helps sometimes to to hear from someone who has a different perspective as you're walking through this forest of life. And I think a lot of that is just a gift that God gave me. And I'll explain that in a minute. A gift is something that you don't make for yourself. You don't earn it. It just kind of comes. And so in my case, it doesn't make any sense that I have this gift, um, not only perspective, but also compassion for leaders. And so that's why I know it must have been a God idea. Um, Compassion generally means to hurt for someone, Um, kind of somewhere between sympathy and pity. The Hebrew word deals with being moved to your bowels, like when your stomach's in a knot. They believe that was a source of emotions. Um, We tend to say my heart. But it means the same thing. Your heart is moved. 
you hurt for the person. You might even cry. And it's interesting, some people who have a hard time having compassion for people, you'll get them in a movie theater and they start watching a movie and the doggy hurts his paw and here they go crying because they have compassion in them. They've just somehow learned to keep it at bay, but then in the movie somehow it's okay. I think most people have compassion for the poor, the downcast, the oppressed. Very few people I have found have compassion for the rich and the powerful. And it kind of seems like, oh, they don't need it. We're all humans. We all need it. Mm -hmm. Let me define leaders a little bit. I think we recognize a leader is someone that a lot of people are following or who is leading a lot of people. That's one kind of leader. Another kind of leader is someone who serves people in an extraordinary way. So you don't necessarily have to have a whole lot of people that you are personally leading to be a leader. And when I think of leaders and leadership, there's a lot of scriptures in the Bible, you know, you could point out to me. But the one that comes to me most is the scene of Jesus at the Mount of Olives. He has told his disciples that he is about to be arrested and crucified. He's told them several times, but he's told them, okay, this is it. You know, it's happening. Um, can you go to the next slide? This is actually at the Mount of Olives, and you can see his conversation with the disciples where he's saying, I am so anguished. Please come with me. Be with me. But it's late at night, and he steps away for a minute to pray and then comes back. He does that three times, basically saying to God, I can't take this. Please, if there's any way I can get out of it, you know, let me get out of it. But it's your will, Father. Um, I cannot think of a more stressful time in someone's life. And yet the disciples are asleep. And he says, what, you couldn't watch with me for one hour? And I think of that because it tends to be that leaders, when times are good, everybody wants to be around them. As long as they have something to give. Money, attention, power, whatever. They're, everybody's around. But when, there's always those dark nights, and it seems like nobody's there. And I think every leader goes through some of that. And that breaks my heart. And I'll tell you why. Because, and I think statistics bear this up, the next time you're in a group of ten people, you could be at a restaurant, you could be at work. Let's say it's about 10 people around you. Look around. Eight of those people, more than likely, would only do what they need to do to take care of themselves. They might take care of their families, but that's part of taking care of themselves. Because, you know, what would people think if I let my kids starve to death, right? Only two of them will do something extra. Take care of myself and do something that doesn't benefit me, that benefits someone else. And of those two, only one will be willing to take on the responsibility of a leader, the responsibility to make decisions, um, to be responsible to come up with resources. And that is very special, I think, in the eyes of God, someone who has the courage to do that, is willing to do that. Yes, there are people in positions of leadership, usually for a short time, who are there because they're egomaniacs, they want power, um, it's all about them. They normally don't last real long. 
most leaders that I've seen are very small groups and bigger groups. They're there because God put them there. And they're there because they recognize there's a need and nobody else is going to do it. We're stuck in this forest. We need to find a way out. Nobody else is taking the lead. I might as well try to do something or we all starve. You know, it's, it's that kind of attitude. One of the, um, and, and it's sad because we don't react to them that way. It's more like, who are you, who do you think you are, and why are you telling me what to do? And I know better. And like I said, that happened this weekend when people were asked to evacuate and didn't. Um, if we can go to the next slide. It's a place called Surfside Beach, Texas. Only about 1,000 residents. They were told to leave. Some of them said, no, I'm staying. Can you see the guy in the water, wading through the water, pushing debris out of the way? That's the town mayor. That's the town mayor who probably was the one that said, please leave, and they said no. And now he is going through God knows what's in that water that could hurt him to rescue people who stayed behind. He's not with his family. He's not taking care of his house. He's not even checking in on his employees. He's out there rescuing someone who wouldn't listen. And I don't think leaders mind helping people. It's just when it's not necessary, and there's so many other people that need help for good reasons, you know. But that's the whole I know better tendency that we have. And you end up with these high water rescues. Once you look at the next picture, it's someone else performing an act of heroism. And keep this in your mind because when we pray, and particularly when we pray for leaders, that's what we're doing. We're coming in as if on a helicopter, dropping down and helping pull them out of a mess. Just, just keep that in mind for later. Okay. So let's go to the blank screen while I tell you a little bit about my background to help you understand this gift that I have that I'm hoping I can share with you. The, um, there's people who use the word impartation, which is a fine word. It means to share. They just make it sound real. Woo, you know, it just means I give you what I got. Um, very early in my life, I had the chance to experience what it was like um, to be subject to a very good leader and a very bad leader. And I think that began my education in this field. And I, I really believe this is part of my calling in life is to, to support leaders. And I think that's why I've had some of the experiences I've had and God's given me some of the insight. When I was born and up to about three years of age, my primary authority figure, caretaker, source, was a very, very nurturing person who thought I was wonderful, which every kid needs, who taught me that I was a good thing and that life was a good thing and gave me whatever I needed to grow, which is what leaders do. But when I was three, she got married and moved away, so she was my nanny, and she started a life of her own, um, a life where she... Um, drove her own daughters crazy talking about little Mariana and how 
perfect little Mariana was and how smart little Mariana was and by what age little Mariana did this and that. And I met them when they were about, I don't know, 10, 11, 12, and I was 16, 15. They said, we hate you. Nothing personal. <laughs> we're so tired of hearing about you. But anyway, that gives you an idea of their mom, Georgina's feelings towards me. So she gets married. She moves away. My second authority figure, if you will, caretaker, was my older sister. Coincidentally, she also gets sent away to boarding school, and my brother gets sent to military school. They're older than me. And so for the first time, I'm alone with mom. Mom, who didn't want to have me, resents that I'm around, and is dealing with um, serious mental health issues and a drug addiction. And that, that wasn't good. Um, and what I learned over the next few years was that I wasn't good and life wasn't good and life wasn't safe. And that's bad leadership, but it's twofold because my dad was part of the family too and he didn't have mental health issues, but he didn't step in and protect me. His choice was to not risk his relationship with his wife, and he, he explained that later on. Um, I think the direct quote is, other kids have been through worse. I figured you guys would pull through. My responsibility was to her. I don't think it was that noble. I think he did not want to deal with possibly losing her affection, and that's why he didn't insist that she get some help, which is sad because that's what she needed, and that's what we needed. And so what started getting drilled into me is that you can't trust anyone because they're either going to hurt you or they're going to walk away and let you be hurt. And the natural response towards authority for someone growing up like that would be to hate and resent authority and never trust authority and, you know, maybe try to hurt them back. You know, that's natural. That's not what happened with me, and that's why I call this a gift. I knew pretty much from day one that my mom couldn't help it. I think she could have helped it earlier in her life. I think there was probably a time where she could have received help. I think the way mental illness goes, you can get to a point where you don't know enough to ask for it. But I think there might have been a time where she could have made a choice. And she was so afraid of what people would think of her that that was more important to her than keeping her kids safe. But I understood she, you know, when she was abusive, she almost couldn't help it. I, and she said later on when I was an adult that she said, you know, of my three kids, you're the one that always forgave me. And that wasn't quite right. I know what she was referring to, but that wasn't quite right. It's not like I felt like, Mom, you're doing something wrong, but I'm going to forgive you. I don't want you to be punished. It wasn't like that. I didn't think she had enough sense to do the right thing. She was that out of her mind. And so it was grace. It wasn't necessarily forgiveness. Now, later on, I had to deal with forgiving my dad. Because as an adult and as a parent, I realized, wait a minute, he had a choice. He could have protected us. He could have gotten mom the help she needed. He would just walk away. And so I had to learn to forgive that. But with mom, I had this grace of knowing she's a sick person. And I think that's why, having seen what a powerful impact a good leader can have and what a devastating impact a not-so-good leader can have, I think that's why it's been important to me to be able to support leaders so they can do their best job in helping their people do their best. And why I've always had um, a certain mercy, recognizing leaders are humans. We all screw up. We all make mistakes. 
the difference is when a regular person makes a mistake, they only hurt themselves, usually. When a leader makes a mistake, people lose their jobs, people can lose their lives, people can go to hell, and they have chosen to take on this responsibility. When I was a kid, I loved planes, and I briefly considered being a pilot, and immediately thought, no, wait, if I'm flying a, a plane, and there's 100, 200 people on board, and I make a mistake, they all die. I don't want to be responsible for 200 people. Um, other times in my life, I went ahead and chose to take on responsibility for others, but most people won't. And most people certainly won't choose to be responsible for a lot of people, particularly when the stakes are high. And I don't think we give leaders enough credit for that. Um, and I think we expect too much, honestly. So let's look at what the Bible says. And as far as how to, about praying for leadership, in his book, The Prayer Shield, um, C. Peter Wagner states that the most underutilized source of spiritual power in our churches today is the intercession for Christian leaders. He goes on, no question exists in the minds of those who have experienced it. Committed, faithful intercession brings increased spiritual power to Christian ministries. Intercession is when you're doing something for somebody else. In this case, praying for somebody else. I think almost everybody knows how to pray for themselves. Lord, get me a job. Lord, get me a man. Lord, give me kids. Lord, get me another job. Lord, deal with this man. Lord, deal with these kids. I mean, the me, me, me thing, I don't think we need training on. But when it comes to praying for the people, most people are kind of uncomfortable. It's like, I don't know what to say. You know, So we're going to help. Um, John Wesley is frequently quoted as saying, God will do nothing on earth except an answer to believing prayer. And I think he set it up that way. He waits for us to pray, and then he acts. And so when we pray, don't pray. Somebody doesn't get whatever God was intending to give them. Encouragement, faith, whatever. Now, the Apostle Paul knew the importance of praying for leaders. He was a leader. Um, and he requested prayer at least five different times. We're only going to go through a few of them. Um, first, first one in his letter to Timothy, he urges that, first of all, when you're going to pray, you start with, all requests, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for everyone, beginning with those in authority. You know, I think we tend to do the me, me, me list and then, oh, yeah, and bless daddy and bless mommy and bless grandma and bless the teacher and bless the pastor. He says start with that. It, it's, not, it's not an option. It's not, oh, I can pray about stuff, but, you know, not worry about the leaders. In Thessalonians, he said, pray for us. In Romans, he said, I beg you to pray for us. And then in Corinthians, he, he gives credit to his release from captivity to the prayers of the saints. And I really like the way the message puts it, and that's where the, the subtitle came from. We don't want you in the dark, friends, about how hard it was. When all, when all this came down on us in the Asia province, it was so bad we didn't think we were going to make it. Then he goes on and he says, you and your prayers 
are part of the rescue operation. When someone is falling, when someone is under the load of something very heavy, they're either resisting sin or they're dealing with the problems of 200 people, 2 million people, whatever. Our prayers are part of that rescue operation, like that guy coming down on that cable from the helicopter to help lift those people out of the mess. I don't think we know how important it is. I don't, I don't think we know how important we are. Uh, it seems like there's two kinds of people. Most people have no idea how important they are, and the ones who think they know how important they are are completely wrong because they're not nearly as important as they think they are in the areas where they think they are. But then there's this other stuff like prayer where we're incredibly important and most of us are AWOL. And so... Prayer works. I, I think you've heard that over and over again the last few weeks, you know, and you hear it from Paul. Um, there was a political leader, not someone you'd put on your list of top spiritual leaders of all time, military leader, who recognized when he was in a bad place that there was nothing he could do to save himself. He said, I found no comfort in any of the philosophical ideas which some men um, parade in their times of ease and strength and safety. They seemed only fair-weathered friends. I realized with awful force that no exercise of my own feeble wit and strength could save me from my enemies, and that without the assistance of that high power which interferes in the eternal sequence of events, am I reading right? causes and effects more often than we are prone to admit I could never succeed. Any guesses on who said that? Not George Washington? Nope. Nope, but you're getting close. Churchill, Winston Churchill. Not someone I would think of as particularly spiritual, but it's funny how people get spiritual when they're between the rock and the hard place and they're afraid they're going to be found, and, which is where he was. He was traveling from one part of Europe to another trying not to be found, and he wasn't a little guy, so that couldn't have been easy. I think we tend to think of leaders as people who have been specially gifted, and often they have. Um, and who are stronger, and often they are, and that's why they don't need help. But because they're in more dangerous situations or situations where more people are depending on them, that's precisely why they need more help than just about anybody else. Um, help to avoid temptation, help to avoid discouragement, help just like in help, like don't ask me to mop this whole floor by myself at least, you know, come alongside and help a little. Um, We have, or at least I tried to hand out, since I didn't get here early enough, a list of tips on how you can pray for leaders. If you didn't get one of these and it's companion blank sheet that says wait till later, could you raise your hand and David can bring you some? We've got a couple in the front, a couple in the back. Okay. Not going to go through that list. That's for you to take home and pray and read and see if it helps spur your own prayers for leaders. The blank one we will use momentarily. I think I'm going to break down and pull out the glass.
Now, you don't have to be a leader to have experienced prayer support, and it's a pretty amazing thing because you feel it, even though you don't exactly know who's praying for you. You can tell when people are praying for you and when they're not, particularly in a difficult situation. Anybody here ever experienced that, where they knew people were praying for them? Yeah. Um, it tends to happen a lot when you're going through something really tough and people know you need the prayer. And for me, I know when it's not happening. And there are times where David will tell you, I'll say, I'm not getting prayer support because I'm dealing with so many attacks. Everything is so hard. Something that's normally fairly simple to do is driving me nuts. It's really discouraging me. Somebody out there is not praying. I mean, really, that's what it is. Um, And I wish I could tell you that I was perfect when it comes to praying for other people, but still a work in progress. Um, But let me tell you, if you haven't, in case you haven't experienced it, I wanted to read you a quote from Abraham Lincoln. And he was talking to a guy he knew who'd been in the Battle of Gettysburg and saying, you know, I wasn't too worried about you, and, but this is why. Lincoln says, well, I will tell you how it was. In the pinch of the campaign up there at Gettysburg, when everybody seemed panic-stricken and nobody could tell what was going to happen, oppressed by the gravity of our affairs, I went to my room one day and locked the door and got down on my knees before Almighty God and prayed to him mightily for victory at Gettysburg. I told him that this was his war and our cause his cause, but we could not stand another Fredericksburg or Chancellorville. And after that, I don't know how it was, and I cannot explain it, but soon a sweet comfort crept into my soul. The feeling came that God had taken the whole business into his own hands and that things would go right at Gettysburg, and that is why I had no fears about you. That's what it feels like. And I have no proof but I'm going to propose that someone was praying alongside with Lincoln at that time. He was struggling in prayer on him by himself, but there were others who were praying for him, and the Holy Spirit came and gave him what he needed to go on um, because this was pretty much a breaking point. Not just for him as a leader, but a whole lot of people had died on his watch. You know. Now, every one of us, is going to have to give an account of ourselves to God. Romans 14:12 tells us that. The day is coming when I'm going to have to stand in front of God, and even though my ticket to heaven has been purchased, we're still going to have a reckoning. We're going to get the account books out, and he's going to ask, what about this, what about that? For the person who's a leader, they don't just have to answer for themselves. They have to answer for the people who were entrusted to them which to me is the most incredible thing that anybody would take that on. You know, climbing the highest mountain, jumping off the highest post, okay, whatever. But to be willingly take on responsibility for others, knowing you're going to face God, and God's going to say, you know, Randy and Clara, back in, oh, 82, and you were, what, in Phoenix, and, you know, there was that lady that maybe they didn't minister to. And yet they're willing year after year to take more people under their wing. That's amazing to me. Um, if that doesn't deserve our prayers, I don't know what does. And it's, really, and it's not just church leaders. It's also community leaders and leaders of ministries around the world and, and all of that. And so we're supposed to help leaders and not resist them and not make their jobs harder. And we help them 
by submitting or obeying whichever four-letter word you don't like least. We do it by supporting. We're doing it by honoring. Hebrews 13:17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. Okay, if you just want to be selfish, <laughs> be nice to your leader so he or she can do better for you. Um, and I, again, I really like the way the message puts things. He says, be responsible to your pastoral leaders. Listen to their counsel. They are alert to the condition of your lives and work under the strict supervision of God. Contribute to the joy of their leadership, not its drudgery. Why would you want to make things harder for them? And I think we forget, and maybe we just don't want to, we don't like the idea. Um, If God has placed someone in authority over me, and we could go into scriptures to talk about how God's the one that appoints kings and takes them down and so forth and so on. There's a good chance that he's going to try to work on me through them. And so he might give them some insight about me that I may not have and I may need. And so even if I don't like the person, I don't respect the person, I don't think they're particularly wise, maybe they're not a godly person, nevertheless, when they say something, I should at least consider that maybe it's coming from God and not just say, oh, I know better, you know, to everything they say. When it comes to leading the group, even just from an earthly level, the leader probably has more information than I do. So I can have a lot of opinions about how things should be done, but they're not well-informed opinions most of the time. And so there has to be some trust that the leader has reasons for doing things the way they're doing it, some trust, especially if they're someone who's connected with God, that God is leading them on how to do things. And that doesn't mean you never question anything. I think an honest question is fine. When you are wanting to learn and going to the leader and saying, I'm trying to learn, how come we do it this way? But what you hear 99% of the time is the little yakky, yakky, yakky when the leader's nowhere around. Well, I don't know why they chose that song set. That just, I mean, that's just, just are just old songs, and I'm just so tired of them. That doesn't encourage me. Me, 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 me. Not helpful at all. There is a place where if, if you really feel convicted about something, you can pray. Lord, give this leader wisdom. Lord, bring people alongside that, that can help balance their talents, whatever. God's the one that can help them. It's not my job to come tell them how to do their job, and it's certainly not my job to go me, 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 me about it to everybody else. And that goes for bosses, parents, the whole bit. That does no good. And, in fact, it can do great harm. And we'll talk about that in a second, too. But I want you to consider that you will have to stand before God and account um, for how you treated your leaders, just as much as they have to account for how they took care of you. And you would think, well, everybody would love their leaders and support them and, and at least pray for them, you know, and, and why wouldn't we do this? Well, from studying people for a while, these are my best guesses. First, I think people haven't dealt with their own rebellious nature, what we talked about with Adam and Eve. Um, 
Romans 10 says, Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, he who rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. When I'm rebelling against my parent, my boss, my pastor, whoever, I'm rebelling against God, ultimately, because he's the one that's allowed them to be my parent, my pastor, my boss. Does that make sense? That makes it easier for me, personally, to stay in line. I also think people have trouble with this because they haven't accepted their own leadership responsibilities, and so they can't empathize with the leader because they've never had to deal with the mess. Um, Ans Hillman puts out a devotional, and I think it was yesterday or the day before he covered some of this. Uh, the, the verse he was looking at was Numbers 11:29, where Moses says, I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit on them. One of the attributes, he says, of the kingdom leader is to recognize when God is raising new leadership and be a catalyst to affirm and encourage it. These leaders also model a level of humility that God blesses. Leaders who are insecure about their leadership will put down new leadership in order to maintain their own status. The Bible says that Moses was the most humble man on the face of the earth. That is why God used him as a leader to bring an entire nation out of bondage. And yet he was saying, I wish God would do this for everyone. I wish everyone would take on this leadership. The message there is don't resist when you're being recruited. I think in our flesh, our natural reaction is you want me to do more work? Don't you know everything I've got on my plate? There are some abusive leaders who just want to spread the work out and not do anything themselves. That's generally, what you don't, that's generally not something you find in church, definitely not in this one. If someone is encouraging you to be an outward captain, to help out with children's ministry, there's a couple of reasons. One is they see that you have a destiny and that this will help you get closer to your destiny, which is their job. The other thing is that they see that there's a need within the body and that there's a destiny for this church and that as long as we don't have people in their place, there's people out there who won't be touched. There's gifts God wants to give. And for you and I to have our most abundant life, we've got to get out of our comfort zone. And leaders tend to have the unenviable task of poking us towards things we're not comfortable with so we can receive gifts that we'll be surprised by. And another reason people don't pray for leaders is, like I said, I don't think they know how much difference their prayer can make. Proverbs 18 says that the tongue has the power of life and death and those who love it will eat its fruit. James 3 says, With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? When I see leaders fall, um, and there's estimates of somewhere between 1,500 and 2,000 leaders leaving the ministry, every year, not to retire, just they're done, which is, what, about five, six a day, something like that. That's sad. Some of them just leave. Some of them are caught up in a scandal, and we all hear about it. And, yes, the leader has, definitely has a responsibility, and I think leaders do fall because of the bad choices they make 
because of sin, pride, greed, laziness, you name it. I cannot help what a leader is choosing. But here's my part. I can either bless them or curse them. And there's power in what I say. And if I'm constantly saying bad things about them, that helps them fall. And if I'm constantly praying and blessing them, that helps them resist. And so anytime a leader falls, particularly within the body of Christ, we all have responsibility. And I examine myself and say, okay, was I praying? You know, before I start saying, yeah, see, I told you, I knew he, blah, 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 you know. That's sobering. Another reason, you know, God says, um, where our treasure is, there our heart will be also. And I've had people say things like, you know, I mean, I want to pray for the pastors, but, I mean, they just they don't come to mind, or I start praying, and, you know, I just don't have the passion. I guess I'm not just called to that. Some people are called to pray for the pastors, but, you know, not me because nothing's happening. And I want to ask them, and I forget. You know, if 50% of your income was coming to the church, you think you'd think about the church more often? You think you'd wonder, how is this money being spent? You think you'd be motivated to pray for these pastors that they'd be wise? Okay, how about 10%? You know, would that help a little? I can tell you, we tithe to the church. We also support several ministries out there. Not all the ministries we know about. The ones we support with a monthly donation, I remember and I pray for much more often than the other ones. The other ones, if I see the guy or the gal on TV, I'll, you know, I'll remember to pray for him, and that's about it. But the ones we support, God brings them to mind. It's just fascinating how that happens. You know, and if you're writing a check, you definitely remember them. Years ago, when I couldn't tithe because I wasn't allowed to because of a family situation, I started thinking about the whole concept of tithing. And back in the original days when that language came up, people didn't just give money. They gave whatever they had. If they were growing wheat, they brought part of their wheat harvest. And so what do we have today? Well, we have money, and we have time and energy. And so when I couldn't tithe money, I figured out, okay, how many waking hours do I have in a week, and what would it take to tithe to give 10% of my waking hours to work within the church or within a ministry? And that's about 10, 12 hours a week. Something to consider. When you're doing that, do you think it's a little easier to think about the ministries you're working with and the needs that there are and the people that are making decisions? Yeah? No? So, if you have trouble remembering to pray for your pastors, your community group leader, your boss, whoever, look a little deeper and see where you have your treasure. Because if your treasure is in your movies, your video games, your clothes, your nights out, whatever, then, yeah, you're going to think about that more than you're going to think about your pastors who are there crying, alone, wondering if somebody could pray with them for one hour. Okay, now here's the good news. Ready for some good news? Because this has been very kind of sobering. You can change things, like right now. The um, biblical word is repent. It means turn around, start doing things the other way. 
And we're going to start practicing like in a couple of minutes. Because you'll remember what you do a lot more than you remember what you hear. And you remember what you see modeled for you more than what you hear. But here's, here's what you can do. You can learn to forgive immediately, especially leaders. Somebody does something, hurts you, bothers you, whatever, forgive immediately. You don't always need to come up to them because they may not even have a clue that they did anything wrong. But just immediately get in the habit of, oh, Lord, please help her have a better day. It looks like she's stressed. Lord, I ask that you would give her favor with the people around her so they wouldn't get offended the way I just did. You can pray for the person and forgive them immediately. This becomes a habit where you don't have to remind yourself anymore. You just start doing it. It's a wonderful habit. I've had bad habits. This is a good habit. Also learn to ask for forgiveness immediately. Um, I think David can tell you that I probably at least once a day will say something to him along the lines of, I'm sorry I responded that way to you. You don't deserve that. Would you forgive me? And many times it's even shorthand. I say, I'm sorry I was crabby with you. He says, I forgive you. We move on. But I recognize that there was something that wasn't quite right. And it's not like I shot him. I didn't shoot his dog. You know, it was just a little thing. I responded a little rough, but it wasn't right, and so I asked for forgiveness immediately. There are times we need to go up to the person and ask. Um, Stop cursing leaders. This one has been a lot harder for me. And I think when we use the word curse, we think of saying, may you break out in hives, and may you not be able to sleep because you itch so much, and may you not eat for 100 years, and may you go to hell, go directly to hell. Okay. A curse is anything that's not a blessing, honestly. And as we were watching the coverage of the hurricane, um, those poor guys and gals, they kept saying, oh, it's going to be real bad. Lots of people are going to die. And David and I were, break that curse in Jesus' name. They don't realize they're speaking someone that can hurt somebody, something that can hurt somebody. And finally, we started taking um, shifts. I said, okay, it's your shift. And, and actually, David had an idea. He said, why don't we just record this and play it on a loop whenever there's one of these disasters? Just turn the news on and have this tape saying, I break that curse in Jesus' name. I break that curse in Jesus' name. I speak life and healing and safety. Could we make money from that? It's hard for me not to complain about people, particularly because that's how I process things. Why are they doing it that way? It seems to me that she should do it this way. Sometimes it's okay to process, but most of the time I have to catch myself. Am I just barking? Insert the word you want in there. And just stop myself. And what helps is when then I turn it around and I bless the person. Lord, bless them with wisdom. Because that makes the devil mad. Because he had a plan for me to curse them, and now I'm blessing them. And I figure if I do that enough, he'll quit bugging me. Embrace the idea that just like part of your purpose in life is to help others, it's also to support your leaders. Whatever stage you're at, everybody has leaders. The president has a Congress and a Supreme Court, you know, that he has to answer to, not to mention God and whoever his church authorities are. Everybody has leaders. Part of our purpose is to support them because we're all one. We all affect each other. And pray for your leaders all the time. Not like 
you know, every Tuesday or five minutes at 8 o'clock in the morning. Learn to do it all the time. If they come to mind, pray for them, period. What I have found is that you cannot for a long time pray for someone without loving them. You can start off praying for someone you don't love, but over a period of time you will either begin to love them or you'll quit praying. That's what happens. And with that comes the support, because, for example, if I've been praying for someone at work to come to Christ for two or three years, pray, 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 pray. And one day they walk in and they say, you know, Mariana, um, you know, the way I'm living my life, something's missing. You know, I'd, I'd kind of like to start reading the Bible. Can, can you help me? You think I'm going to say no? Or if they say, you know, I was thinking of checking out your church. Can I go with you? Am I going to jump on it? There's a lot of little things like that that we miss. When we're praying for someone, we tend to help. And that's why with any ministry, you see a need. If you've been praying for them, you're going to help fill that need because that's where your heart is. Now, some of that's a choice. You don't just automatically love everybody you meet. Okay. And didn't talk a lot about praying for the church. We could do a whole separate lesson on that. Because if you start praying for your leaders, there's no way to do that without praying for the church. If I start praying for the worship leader, I'm going to end up praying for the rest of the members of the worship team. I'm going to be praying for their families. I'm going to be praying for the people that they're leading into worship. I'm going to be praying for whoever pastors them. That's just a natural outgrowth. I may not do that the first time I sit down and pray, but that's going to be the outgrowth if I am consistently praying for the worship leader. I end up praying for the church. Same thing if you're praying for the leader of a community group or what have you. And pray for other leaders, not just the ones that directly affect you. Okay. We're going to practice. This is the part where this little paper comes in, the blank one that says, save this sheet for later. I want you to think of one leader in your life. could be in your family. could be in the church. could be at work or at school or somewhere in the community. Just one leader. And ask God which one. And then we're going to ask God, show us the person you want us to deal with right now. And in what way have I failed to obey or honor or support them? It might sound a little uncomfortable, but I remember a time about eight years ago, and I have no idea who was teaching. I have no idea what the subject was. David thinks it might have happened as part of our Lord's Supper because we tended to do this. Somebody said, if you have something that you need to forgive somebody for or you need to ask forgiveness, go do that now as we take the Lord's Supper. And I try to live my life in such a way that I'm not ashamed of what I'm doing, that I don't have to ask for forgiveness. I try to do the right thing, but, you know, not perfect. So I couldn't think of anything right away, but I said, okay, Lord, you know, sure there must be something. And I ended up going up to Clara. I don't even know if she remembers this. And I had realized that I hadn't been praying for her regularly. And it broke my heart because I know better. I know, as a leader, how much it means to me and the difference that it makes. And I knew how hard she was working and how much she needed it. 
And so I went and I told her, I haven't been praying for you the way I should. Would you forgive me? And of course she did. It's been eight years. I can't think of that without tearing up because I never want to be in that position again. You know, there's a lot of things I haven't done in my life because I didn't have the money or whatever. There is no excuse for not praying. There just isn't if you're conscious. I mean, I've seen people in the hospital near death who are praying for others. <laughs> they can't move their body, but they can pray. So there's no excuse. So let's pray now that this will be a God thing. Lord, I ask that you would bring to mind the person either within the church or outside of the church that you want to repair a breach with. Lord, the person that we can bless in a greater way in the specific way in which we can bless them. You can look up when you pretty much know what God's doing. Okay, now there's a choice of what you can do. Three choices. If the person is in the room, I would like for you to go to them now. And this is not going to be a long 20-minute conversation, but just like I did with Clara, say, I'm sorry, and tell them what you're going to do differently. If you can't quite handle doing that, that's why we have the blank piece of paper, because then you can write them a note. And you can either give them a note or put their name on on the outside, and David will collect those after a little while, and we can give it to them later. But it's important to take some action so that you start to behave differently. And if you wait till you get home, it generally doesn't happen. Um, For those of you that the person is not in the room, maybe it's your boss or something, go ahead and write them a note now. I'll let you figure out what you do with the note, but the important thing is to do something. And if God didn't show you anybody, then go ahead and pray for those who are dealing with stuff. Ready, set, go. Does anybody have notes they want Mailman David to collect? 
I haven't seen a whole lot of deliveries. I think we're still riding. This is good. Good stuff. Okay, we're going to do this for about 45 more seconds, and then there's a second part to our uh, exercise. The test is over. Put your pens down. Please. Something that helps me a lot is when somebody models something. When I see somebody doing it, then it helps me learn a lot faster how to do it myself. And so we're going to do this praying for leaders thing um, two different ways. I've asked um, the McKays to pray for the Moranbles. Maybe you guys want to come up right here in front. One of the ways you pray for leaders is when you're with them. And, sure, you can come, Chelsea. Um, and so this will be brief, but I know you guys have been praying for them for many years, so it should come pretty easily. Sometimes leaders will tell you what they need prayer for, and sometimes not. I'm thinking, just let's make this a generic, you know, let's see what God wants, how God wants to bless them. And, uh, because he knows. You can come up if you want. I'm thinking that I'm thinking the Moranbles are the leaders for the McKays, and so it works that way. Yeah. Yeah, and it works this way too. So that's why I'm saying it's kind of. Father, I just want to lift up our leader here, our leaders here, the Moranvilles, who started this church so many years ago with just an, an idea, a dream. And it's through your spirit, Lord, that this dream continues. Lord, I just ask for renewed strength renewed inspiration, renewed power. You say that you will renew our strength, those that wait upon you, Lord, and we wait upon you, and we ask for that renewal as we wait. Come, Holy Spirit. Be with us. Be in this time, Lord, with this prayer. As new things are beginning, Lord, we want to experience 
expand what this ministry is. We expand the reach of and goals of this ministry. And we just ask for your power upon these folks that we come to love and respect. Lord, you've um, you've seen my heart and and my prayers for uh, Randy and Clara and and the family and and um, it, it's just I've I've I felt your um, heart for for everything that that they've been going through, but I've also felt your excitement about the the new thing that you're doing. But Lord, as as the seasons have changed. Um, they have lost helpers along the way, and they've taken on so many more responsibilities. And I just, I just pray that you will continue to help them as they do more for us here in the church, but also do more outside the church, that you'll just help them to, to be able to, to juggle all those responsibilities and prioritize and... and um, continue to bring the the contacts to them that you are using the situation to to reach other people Lord that they may not step into our our church but you have sent them out into the the marketplace in the world and and you're broadening their sphere of in, their sphere of influence by sending them out but with that you know does come um, more responsibilities and and extra things to do so just just help them in that and lord here in this church this body i just ask for for help for them lord um, you sent aaron to hold up moses's arms and and um, i just pray the same for them that you'll continue to, to bring in someone to come alongside and help share the vision and help minister to the the people that you are bringing our way. Lord, we just thank you for what you're doing and um, thank you so much for the what we have to look forward to. Bless you in Jesus' name. Everybody can say amen, Amen. unless you don't agree. In that case, you might need more paper. (laughs) What time is it? Really? Okay, then we won't do part two. That's okay. That was, I thought, a very good example. Does that help you at all? Because they could have prayed the same prayer if the Moranvilles had been in Florida. You know, Um, you don't have to have the people right in front of you to pray for them. I hope some of that's been helpful. I hope you walk out with a slightly different view of people in leadership and that you do something differently and that if there is something standing between you and a person in leadership in the church or outside, 
that you go ahead and take care of that. Apologize, deal with it somehow, but get rid of that thing that keeps you from praying for them. Okay. Until next week, be blessed. If you need prayer yourself, you can come up front. Thank you.